Hello and welcome. Tonight, two more Bethel students regain freedom from the kidnappers' den more than five months after their initial capture as Nigerian military kills two notorious bandit leaders in Zamfara Forest. Joy, thanksgiving and admonition for more prayers characterized first Sunday services. On our series of 2021 review reports, tonight our focus is on the energy subsector. And on the foreign scene, one person arrested as South African Parliament building in Cape Town catches fire. No casualties reported. And we begin tonight with good news. Out of Kaduna, North Central Nigeria, where about five months, after about five months in captivity, two more kidnapped students of Bethel Baptist Secondary School have regained their freedom. Although the police is yet to comment on the development, Chairman of the Kaduna State Chapter of the Christian Association of Nigeria, Reverend Joseph Hayab, said the two students were released on Tuesday, December the 28th, 2021 and Saturday, January the 1st, 2022, respectively. Recall that on July the 5th, 2021, bandits invaded Bethel Baptist Secondary School Maraban Damishi in Chikun local government area of Kaduna State and kidnapped 121 students. The students were later released in batches after their parents reportedly paid unspecified amount of money as ransom, while three others remained with the bandits. With the release of the two students, a total of 120 students have now regained their freedom so far, while only one student is still in captivity. Two notorious bandit leaders, Alhaji Auta and Kachala Ruga, are said to have been killed in an air raid of a forest in Zamfara State. According to sources, the notorious bandits Leaders were killed after an Air Force jet bombarded their enclaves at Gusami Forest and Samre village in Berenin Magaji local government area of the state. Multiple airstrikes by Air Force have also led to the death of several other bandits. A source told Channels Television that some bandits were also killed by the military jet when they went to retrieve the body of the bandit leader, Alhaji Auta, from the scene of bombardment by the military. The governor of Taraba State, Darius Ishaku, is assuring Tiv tribes resident in the state of his desire to resettle them back to their ancestral homes. The resettlement would be coming after years of feud between them and the Jukuns, as well as Fulani tribes. The governor made the promise during the Tiv Day celebration held in Bali, local government area of the state, where he was honored as an icon of peace by the traditional council. Tiv dancers performing the popular Suwange dance at the annual Tiv Cultural Day celebration in Taraba States. Over the years, several Tiv people have been displaced as a result of clashes with other tribes in the state. Most of their communities have remained empty, while the number of internally displaced persons continue to swell. At this festival, Governor Darius Ishaku, who was rewarded as a peace icon, makes a case for tolerance among the tribes in the state. 
Taraba State has over 80 tribes. Let me tell this association that my administration is determined to repatriate all the displaced Tarabans and active indigenous into their ancestral home and to rebuild their rights and contribute constructively to the state's development. We have done it before, we will do it again. Conflict benefits nobody but the warmongers who profit from the sale of unlawful weapons of devastation to the detriment of those that are murdered daily. The festival is indicative of how the people have put the ugly scenario behind them as they crave peaceful coexistence with other tribes in the state. We have been here for almost three to four days today. Uh, all the chiefs in the, our domain will sit together and deliberate how to find a lasting solution in the issue of security in our area. We want all our youth to remain law-abiding citizens of the country. So do not allow any stranger to come that will bring a problem in our, in our domain. Based on the observation and security report I used to receive, um, uh, there is a challenges of securities in Taraba State. And the challenges came as a result of the influx. And this influx has been accommodated by our traditional leaders, more especially the Mayanguas, the voted and what have you. The promise by Governor Ishaku will be a sweet song to the ears of these internally displaced persons who have longed to return to the ancestral homes. And still on security matters on this second day of the year 2022, um, some residents of Yobe State are asking states and federal governments and other relevant authorities to improve the state of security along the Damaturu Meduguri and Damaturu Bu roads this new year. This, the residents say, would allow improved human and economic activity along those axes. In this special report, Channels Televi Television examines the security condition of the roads in the outgun year. Commuters observing prayers before heading into any of the nation's highway has become a commonplace across motor parks in the country. Passengers often pray for safe trip. And for those who ply the Damaturu Meduguri and the Damaturu Bu roads, the prayer is particularly necessary to avoid being kidnapped. Motorists who ply the roads have to ensure that their vehicles are in good condition to avoid any breakdown on the roads. We are seriously uh, scared on the issue of uh, Meduguri road because most of our members, they don't even want to load from Damaturu to Meduguri because of the situation. Uh, in every day, almost every day, they will either kill you or attack you or burn your vehicle. So this situation is worrisome. So we are calling on the federal government to police come to our aid to add more security on the road. We did not say that there is no security, there is, but they are not, uh, they are not adequate. Last year, some victims escaped attacked with bullet wounds. This has not deterred passengers from plying the roads. We are not getting more security for the road because federal government, to, they are supposed to put more security for the road in case of in cases because of those crises of the Boko Haram and those Boko Haram, they are blocking road anyhow. It is necessary for people to travel and considering Meduguri Damatru road is the major and the most busy road that links the capital city of Meduguri and Damatru. 
and this is just the only route that many people follow. If you are coming from Kano, if you are coming from Katsina, in fact, if you are coming from almost all part of the country, you have to go through the Tamatru Meduguri road. So it's necessary for people to travel, people that have relatives, some people have their wives, some people have their children, some people have sick people living there. So it is necessary for people to travel despite the security challenges and the fear uh, by the commuters along that road. Smaller vehicles are not used to convey goods after they have been offloaded by trucks who dread using the roads. Governors of the Northeast region, at her sixth meeting, pledged to address the situation. We shall do everything possible to ensure that the common man can go about his normal business activities. Under no circumstances, we, the governors of the region, will be silent in such a way that the region should be taken over by the terrorists. As President Muhammadu Buhari recently revealed, more military hardware have started arriving the region to sustain the onslaught against the insurgents. The people can look forward to reviving the economic activities along these major roads. Away from security now and on to politics. No governor of a state in Nigeria worthy of the name will lose control of his political party machinery on the basis of whether elections to select candidates for offices are conducted through direct primaries or other methods. That's according to the governor of Nasarawa State, Alhaji Abdu Abdullahi Sule. He told Channel's television's Ladia Kiridulwali on our current affairs program, Newsnight, that governors are not opposed to the use of direct primaries but raised questions about choice and cost. He says, personally, he believes that direct primaries are the best way to go in a, in a democracy with ideal conditions. Why do we want to box ourselves into an option, one option, and that's it? That was the question as at the meeting. Unfortunately, that question was translated to be an opposition. Because we are saying that, why do you want to say it is only direct? God forbid, let's say we had another pandemic similar to what we had, and then there is going to be primary election. And during the pandemic, the COVID-19, you say that not more than so-so and so number should gather in one place. Direct primaries requires that people actually come out. Let me tell you one thing, categorically, as engineer A.A. Suley. I 100% believe that direct primaries is the best option that will involve all the people and will reflect true democracy. Personally, I believe in that. Personally, I support it. But what we are saying is that if you make it low, you actually push yourself into a corner that in case now there is a pandemic and you, you wouldn't have that, what provision do you have? next. So that's why we were suggesting, similar to what appears in the in our, in our APC constitution. In our APC constitution, the first option is really consensus. It's not even direct or indirect. The first option is consensus. If consensus doesn't work, you know, go for indirect. If indirect doesn't agree, go for direct. Okay? Those were the options. So we now said, all right, why don't you mention it and even say that the option, first option is direct primaries. 
if there is any other reason why direct could not be made, then look at options. But don't box yourself and say that direct or nothing else. That was only the discussion we had that I know. You know, but unfortunately, before we came out of, out of the meeting, you know, there were all kinds of translations. Oh, governors will lose control. When somebody is outside the state, with due respect, say Abuja, and then you have a governor who knows what he's doing in his home state. He's, and if the governor is indeed a governor on ground, you travel to this village one time, you find out what the problem is, what you do here, you, you, are, you are all over the place. And you are solving people's problems on the ground. You will be afraid of direct. What, what sort of a governor, a governor will, be, will be that? Because at the end of the day, you will still get what you want. And for the full interview, do watch Newsnight tomorrow with Governor Abdullahi Suley. Tomorrow, Monday, 3rd of January, 2022 at 9 p.m. right here on Channels Television. The presidency has come out to dispel claims of a rift between the executive and the legislative arm over the signing of the 2022 budget and finance bill. A statement released by the senior special assistant to the president on media and publicity, Garbashehu, noted that there are people who are trying to create a fiasco between the two arms of government on account of the budget. A plan, the presidency says, will fail as it is determined to ensure a functional operating environment hinged on more policy than politics. The statement adds that President Buhari and the leaders of the National Assembly are committed to a good relationship that will foster the growth of democracy in the country. In part two after the break, more on our focus on the energy subsector in 2021. We will be joined by Mr. Labodi Shumi, Managing Director of energy consultancy firm Captree Limited. Stay with us. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're watching the news at 10 live on channels television Lagos. Here's a reminder of our top stories. Two more Bethel students regain freedom from the kidnappers' den more than six months after the initial capture as Nigerian military kills two notorious bandit leaders in Zamfara Forest. Joy, thanksgiving and admonition for more prayers characterize first Sunday services. On our energy, on our series of 2021 review reports tonight, our focus is on the energy subsector. South African Parliament building in Cape Town catches fire. No casualties reported. Governor Yesamwike of River State is criticizing the federal government for allegedly abandoning over 1.5 million internally displaced persons in Benue State. Speaking during a visit to Governor Samuel Otom of Benue State, 
Governor Wike alleges that the federal government took the action because of the disagreement between the state government over the approach to tackling the insecurity in the state. Governor Nyesom Wiki of River State is leading a delegation from his state to this courtesy visit on his Benue state counterpart, Governor Samuel Otom. He is accompanied by the former River State Governor, Mr. Celestino Mehia, and former Deputy Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mr. Austin Opara. Governor Wiki, who is not a familiar guest in Benue State, is driven to the official residence of the governor. In 2018, he donated 200 million naira to internally displaced persons in the state, a gesture that the state government is still grateful for. You came in handy. You are amazed up by the quantum of money you donated to help us rehabilitate those people. I did not stop there subsequently. You kept asking me, how are my people? And I kept telling you that they have not gone back. And you have kept supporting. We remain grateful to you on behalf of government and people of Benway State for all that you have been doing. Nevertheless, the state of the internally displaced persons in Benway State still resonates in the mind of Governor Wiki as he calls for more to be done for those displaced in Benway State. You have IDP in Benue, you have IDP in other states, you have in Bruno, you have in Yobe, you have in other... Yeah, Frank Oman says, this is what they're going to do, this is what they'll be doing. What is the crime committed by the people of Benue? What is the crime committed by the governor of Benue State? Like I've said, you don't like me, I agree. But what is, what is the offense of my people? They voted for you too. When we voted for the president in 2015. Okay, for the sake that he voted for you, why not also extend... Yeah, yeah, on uh, yeah, just after you have people like uh, Akume, where are your minister? Okay, for the sake of them. It's okay. I have my minister special uh, duties. From our government, Akume. He's my minister. I had Audobe. He's from uh, Benue State. For their own sake, why not extend that gesture to them? As the leaders depart, they give warm assurances for the protection and welfare of the IDPs, hoping that the Benue State Government will emerge stronger against any form of insecurity in the state. Now to our review of the sectors in the outgun year 2021. And so tonight our focus is on energy, the energy subsector, where it's been described as a mixed bag of wins and challenges ahead. From the Petroleum Industry Act to the expected removal of the petrol subsidy, there are issues that took center stage in the sector in 2021 and may in fact do so into 2022. Our energy correspondent, Olu Phillips, joins me on the news at 10. Hi, Olu. Hi, Buki. Good to see you. Good to, Good see, to you. see you. On this side of the divide. Yes, <laughs> The first time, though, I think. Yeah. Good. Oh, well, yes, um, like um, you had rightly stated, it was um, a mixed bag. Uh, there were momentous times, uh, but that's mixed. And um, we hope that um, the good, the highs would take over in 2022. Uh, let's just watch the report. All right. Energy provision or electricity supply has for a long time remained a thorny issue. 
a continuous talking point and one that sharply divided consumers against providers. The huge sums of money budgeted and supposedly spent in dollars versus its inability to deliver or otherwise is to simply say consumers, Nigerians, want more energy supplied to them, while operators want the right pricing and payment for the product being delivered and demanded. Call it cost-reflective tariff or the argument by consumers to have more before they can pay more. In May of 2021, the Federal Executive Council approved 6.2 billion naira for execution of various power projects across the country. Two big interventions in the period under review is the federal government's decision to supply 6 million meters free of charge to unmetered customers over an 18 to 24 months period. Of that number, only 1 million has been activated and that's to be shared across the distribution companies in Nigeria. In 2019, President Buhari signed an agreement with Siemens German worth 2 billion euros in the first instance. The Siemens deal, a three-phased plan and proposal, will deal essentially with improving transmission and distribution infrastructure across the country, an endeavor which will see Nigeria with a capacity of 25,000 megawatts of electricity by 2025. Nigeria has more than 13,000 megawatts of installed electricity generation capacity, but only 7,500 megawatts of that is available and an average of 4,000 megawatts is dispatched to the grid every day. Across the room is the oil and gas sector, Nigeria's highest revenue earner. The most profound being the facilitation of the Petroleum Industry Act 2021. My expectation it's for a speedy transition by taking all necessary steps required to transfer assets, human and material, and without wasting time, capitalize the company as required by the Petroleum Industry Act. The rehabilitation of the refineries is the corporation's readiness for a deregulated environment. Port Harcourt Refinery, Wari and Kaduna are currently undergoing rehabilitation and it's expected to come on streaming phases between 2022 and 2023. Finalists are very much like aircraft. You can always fix them. So being aware that you have an asset in your hand that you own and that you can fix, uh, selling is not, will never be your first option. For over 43 years, NMPC didn't publish any record of accounts, let alone making profit. Last year, it did for the first time and now publishes a monthly statement of accounts. Perhaps this is that year when Nigerians will pay more for petrol. Yes, um, Buki, you've seen that. And um, if we start by that last line, what that simply meant is that when the Minister for Finance and National Planning met some folks from um, World Bank and IMF, um, she simply said sometime in September or October there about that, uh, subsidies will go this year. Petrol subsidies actually will go this year. We've been dilly-dallying on that. And um, what that simply also means is that consumers must come to the point where they decide, for me, it's a situation of um, the quinine and malaria. You want to take care of your malaria, you must take quinine. And it's a bitter pill. Um, petrol in Nigeria is the cheapest in the entire West Africa. Sells as 162. The closest is about 400 and 453 
in the Niger Republic is over 500. In Ghana, it's over 600 naira per liter, including taxes. You know, but, but a lot of Nigerians would also say that you look at the other, other indices in other countries, you know, as against what obtains in Nigeria. Okay, so, so this is it. I mean, you can't divorce deregulation, for instance, from subsidy. So um, what the NMPC, for instance, is doing by trying to revamp the um, refineries means that we can now refine locally and the kind of monies we spend importing over 95% of the products that we need, we wouldn't need to do that again. So when this 445 comes on, Dangote Refinery 650 comes on, and the stake that NMPC has taken, the federal government has taken in, uh, in, in Dangote, will galvanize the production locally and eventually turn Nigeria to a net exporter of uh, petroleum, finished petroleum products. So that mops up that fund, and the government can use that. Because if you look at, you say 40 million Nigerians will get 5,000 5, grants. That's over 2.8 trillion naira. Subsidy is about 1 point something trillion. So what are you really trying to do? I don't know what strategy the federal government wants to adopt. Subsidy has become a political issue. It's an election year. Uh, it should go by first two, three quarters of the year. How they're going to balance that out, we don't know. We don't know that strategy, but it would be nice to see that strategy. Uh, well, we hope that in, in the future, the, the, the benefits will outweigh the odds. Yeah, absolutely. So thank, thank you very, very much, Olu, for uh, this review. Uh, it's certainly something to look forward to, the way that you've explained it to us. Our energy correspondent, Olu Phillips. Uh, still ahead on the news at 10, we'll take a deeper look at the energy subsector and some of the implications thrown up by the report by our energy cor correspondent, Olu Phillips, and we have joining us Mr. Olabode Shomumi, the Managing Director of um, Captree Energy Limited. You're welcome to the News at 10. Thank you. Very glad to have you. Thank you, Buki. Nice to see you. So uh, let's start with, uh, you know, something that transpired on the international scene in the outgone year 2021, the climate change and the future of the petroleum industry. How can we say that COP 2021 uh, will affect the energy subsector positively, globally? I think, um, first of all, there's a political aspect to COP. And of course, there's the science of it, which is climate change, um, the earth coming to an end, and all the talk. COP meetings attracts a lot of media attention, primarily because of drama. And this last COP did not fall any short. But ahead, or irrespective of whatever was com coming in today, it is important that we have what is our own groom internal strategy rather than a me too strategy based on what everybody else is saying. The fact remains is that renewable energy, which is the future, may not be so immediate in terms of the future. So what is incumbent upon us as a nation is to be able to look at what are realistic timeframes for us to get into it rather than jumping into it simply because everybody else is jumping into it. As of today, there are over 10,000 products that are directly dependent on petroleum, from pharmaceuticals to the hair that women wear, to cosmetics, to the towel on the road, to inks and pens, to roofing sheets. I mean, you can name it. Until there is a substitute that is competitive, financially competitive, those things are always going to be. So rather than going into all the political issues, let's look at the science. Let's look at the economics and come up with our own groom solutions to it. Mm. Let's look at the PIA now. It has brought about some sort of regulation for the industry. First time to have a real regulate, regulator in almost five decades. What should we be expecting? I think primarily we should be expecting the role any regulator should do. One of the things that it's going to do is to ensure standards. Quality in terms of operations, in terms of what is going to happen there. 
up until now, you didn't really have a big brother, so to speak, with respect to issues. So we are going to be expecting standards. We are going to be expecting ease with which disputes will be resolved. But more importantly, we are expecting a cleaner, stronger framework for investment to come into the industry. I think um, it's a good news anyway we, we choose to look at it. Mm. To uh, yet another arm of this subsector, the power sector, currently reviewing the EPSR Act, will this guarantee electricity? I think laws are precisely that. They're just laws, frameworks for which certain things should happen. They don't necessarily turn into actions by people. The framework that is going to be presented with the new EPSR Act has been um, amended by the National Assembly is still going to be dependent on the operators. I mean, I'm talking about, when I talk operators, I'm also talking stakeholders. So from the man on the street who actually uses electricity, you know, we have very intelligent people who bypass meters, and use the electricity, and we call them smart. But in reality, nobody is smart, because if they don't pay for it, the system pays for it somehow. And then you come to the discos who have their own issues, the genkos who have their own issues, the, the transmission backbone. So the laws are not going to make these people more caring and more sensitive. The laws are only going to provide guidelines for them to do their work. It is the corporate culture and the culture with us as a people that will ultimately determine how soon we get quality electricity. All right. I'd like to pursue the point even more, but then we must uh, leave it here. We want to thank you very much, Mr. Shomomi, for your time and thoughts on the news at 10 on Channels Television, particularly at this festive period. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, madam. Thank you very the much. The pleasure is all mine. And still ahead on the news at 10, Nine Gems by Shegwa Paul. That's on Art Review. Join us again. Welcome back. The nation's electricity sector may soon get a boost as the federal government is confident of increasing the generating capacity to 25,000 megawatts. While inspecting some power transmission substation projects in Kasina State, the Minister of Power, Mr. Abubakar Aliu, explains that the idea is part of efforts to enhance businesses and other economic activities in the country. The Minister of Power, who was accompanied by the Acting Managing Director of the Transmission Company of Nigeria, Mr. Suli Abdulaziz, also inspected the ongoing windmill power project located in Lamba Rimi in Charanchi local government area of the state. We are able to stabilize the, 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 the electricity generation and uh, transmission in the country. If you notice, 2021, we, we, we had only two major uh, uh, system collapse, which previously we used to have 15 to 17 times in a year. But 2021, only two. So that is showing progress. That is showing progress. And we are fully committed to ensure that we keep on investing in the uh, sector where we are weak, which is the, 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 the transmission and the distribution. Now, by the time we are able in the seamen uh, to raise the capacity to seven, the second phase will expand that to 11,000 megawatts. Then the third phase will 
take care of the whole value chain from distribution, uh, from generation, uh, uh, transmission and distribution. And this will happen within uh, five years, which will raise the operational capacity to 25,000 megawatts. The Nigeria Meteorological Agency is alerting the public on the possibility of poor visibility occurring in northern Nigeria. Cases of thick to moderate dust haze are expected over the extreme north, including in states like Yobi, Kano, Jigawa, Kasina, Kaduna, Bauchi, Gumbi and Borunu, where horizontal visibilities should be around 1,000 metres and below. According to the agency, the dust was raised over... Fire Lagu, a dust source region in Chad Republic during the morning hours of January the 1st, 2022, and the plume of dust is expected to disperse towards Nigeria to reduce visibility, visibility ranges in the northern parts of the country, especially in the early hours of today. NIMET has cautioned that flight operations may be disrupted. Therefore, airline operators are required to adhere to regulations, especially at aerodromes in the northern parts of the country. Road users are also advised to drive slowly and carefully due to poor visibility during this period. Christian denominations across the world teach that Sunday is the Lord's Day. The faithful are expected to assemble for worship. Today being the first Sunday of the year, churches across Nigeria have held special services to kickstart the year. Our correspondent Daridu reports. It's the first Sunday of the year and with a heart of praise, the congregants at the Holy Cross Cathedral sing. It's a solemn mass with an ambience of praise. The main message of the day is coming from the Catholic Archbishop of Lagos, Most Reverend Adewali Martins, who urges the church to follow the teachings of the Bible. As we begin the year 2022, as we face the future, let us seek to know the Lord by reading the scriptures and by following the teachings of the church. That, my dear friends, is a sure way of entering into the joys of heaven. Away from the Catholic Mass at our Savior's Church, under the Anglican Lagos Diocese, the congregants are also in the mood of gratitude and praise. It's Thanksgiving time, the young and the elderly all sing and dance with joy.
Archbishop, the Most Reverend Dr. Humphrey Olumakaye, has given us the message for the year, divine satisfaction. We should be satisfied with whatever we have. Without satisfaction, we cannot move forward. It is because we are not satisfied. That is why some people are embezzling the money of the country. That is why some people are stealing. That is why some people are killing and maiming because they want to get rich. The mood at the Redeemed Evangelical Mission is also one of thanksgiving. The Bishop of the Pentecostal Church advocates a re-evaluation for individuals and for the country. He shares his optimism. Nigeria is going to experience a tremendous change and we're going to begin to see the, some of the uh, 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 concerns we have, like insecurity, like bloodshed and all these killings, kidnapping. They will begin to abate. You, you, you will notice that it's suddenly going down and people will be wondering what's going on. The churches are also starting the year 2022, hoping and praying that the situation of the country turns around for good. Dari Ido, Channels Television News. The Lagos State First family joined other dignitaries for this year's Thanksgiving service. Speaking at the second edition with the theme, Songs of Thanksgiving, the Lagos State Governor, Babajide Sonwulu, explains that 2022 will be a year of further development in projects and completion of old ones. The program, organized by the state government, was attended by the General Overseer of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Pastor Enoch Adeboye, and his wife, also attended the event. The National Leader of the All Progressives Congress, Ashiwaju Bola Tinubu, and the Minister of Works and Housing, Mr. Babatunde Fashola, were among the dignitaries that graced the occasion of the annual Thanksgiving service at the seat of power in Lagos State, Alausa, on Sunday evening. The Speaker of the House of Representatives, Right Honorable Femi Gbajabiamila, also attended the service. New Year celebrations may have been largely subdued in some countries owing to COVID-19 and its variants. However, Channel's television's visit to some fun spots in Lagos demonstrates the city's resilience amid the several mutations of the virus as families and individuals turned out in their numbers to bond and create memories. New Year celebrations continue with people bidding farewell to a year many would prefer to forget due to several challenges, especially COVID-19 concerns. The Omicron variant may have subdued the traditional celebrations in various homes, but these people are out, finding all sorts of ways to connect, celebrate and reflect at the Shodex Gardens in Lagos. Last year's festivity was so boring. Because honestly, I didn't go out. I was, we are all at home all through the festive period because of this COVID the protocols and rules and all that. But this year, it's much more lively and people are really compliant to the COVID rules and all that. At least we are here at Shoulders Garden and my kids are having fun. I'm also having fun too. 
Despite the turnout, the management of the recreational centre says it's unlike the high volume of traffic recorded in previous years. Our patronage this year is, uh, is uh, average compared to previous year. Normally, previous year, we always have a lot of uh, crowd compared to this year. But most of our customers, they are elites. But the elites, they have uh, withdrew back because of the COVID-19. A few people are seen adhering strictly to COVID-19 safety precautions. Some mingle freely, while others appear indifferent to safety guidelines. Also in the spirit of the season, the fun is not in short supply at the JJT Park, however, with little or no observance to COVID-19 protocols. Chinedu Ugu is out to unwind with his family, and his response tells us they are taking the dangers of the pandemic seriously. The truth is that COVID-19 is not going anywhere, and we, we have to find a way to, you can see I'm wearing my mask, and my family too. So even though we have to come out to, we can't keep, you know, uh, we can't prevent ourselves from enjoying the festivity. And after a long year that's included not only a global health crisis, but challenges such as insecurity, banditry among others, many Nigerians are hopeful, while some others are wary of what the new year will bring. And now to the arts. Have you ever imagined an exhibition of artworks made out of screws and nails? Well, visual art, visual artist Shegwa Kou has moved beyond imagining to creating a series he calls Nine Gems. Winning hearts one screw at a time is what Shegwa Ko is doing through his latest solo exhibition. What initiated the works really, it's our background, our stories as Nigerians, our, our, our fathers, our great grandfathers' stories, their ethics, their, their, their values, um, the things that sustain them, you know. And all before we all became lawyers, doctors and all that. Those are the things our fathers did back then. Those are the things they believed in, you know. We had um, the, the hunters, uh, only dearies, the, 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 the fishermen and all that. So it's, it's a way of documenting our stories, taking us back to our roots. Using this unconventional material, this artist has added more color schemes to his traditional themes, which are captured in nine gems. Each of the works takes him about two to three months to accomplish one. And uh, the one thing I like about his style is the unique way, the storyline about the works, like the one at my far right uh, left here, uh, titled Paki Oton, is about um, a reputable hero, a hunter from Ogbomosho that was passing through the bushes and he was, you know, in the process of killing animals, hunting animals, he, he, he discovered that 
no matter how much animal he was able to kill, there is still more animals to come. He was doing this, you know, trying to explore until he finally discovered there are people living in that area. And from that moment, that place was named Pakyoton in Obomosho. He explains how this technique has evolved over time with different elements which he has infused to make it more attractive. I call it um, screw hearts. It's um, screw on board. It's a two-dimensional, it's not on the run form, so, but you say enjoy all the forms, you know, all, all the shapes and all that. So it's uh, basically screw on board. Some uh, have um, the background with dyed paper, some have auto-based background, you know, so um, some have acrylics on them, some are painted with acrylics, some are just in the natural form, the, the screw, you know, the screw. The 2008 graduate of analytical chemistry from the Ladoki Akintola University of Technology, Oyo State, has surely left his signature at the Signature Beyond Gallery with this latest collection. The Olubadon of Ibadan land, Oba Saliu Adetunji, has joined his ancestors. The monarch, who was 93 years old, Today, he joined his ancestors at the University College Hospital in Ibadan. He was crowned the 41st Olubadon of Ibadan following his coronation on March the 4th, 2016. Prior to his coronation as the Olubadon of Ibadan, Obade Tunji was the, the Balogun of Ibadan land. In the meantime, President Muhammadu Buhari has commiserated with Governor Sheima Kinde and the people of Oyo State over the demise of the monarch who has since been buried. Foreign news now. A large fire is raging at the Houses of Parliament in the South African city of Cape Town. Pictures show a plume of black smoke filling the sky with huge flames coming out from the roof of the building. Dozens of firefighters are said to be at the site battling the blaze. It is not yet clear what caused the fire. And this comes hours after Archbishop Desmond Tutu's state funeral at the St. George's Cathedral near Parliament. We don't know the course yet. We don't know full details of what went wrong. But this would have been the scene of the opening of Parliament on the 10th of February when the President presents the State of the Nation Address. It's a very sad day for our democracy because Parliament is the home of our democracy. And Parliament is also a strategic a key point. So we've uh, looked at the scene with the Chief Fire Officer, the Provincial Commissioner, and others who were on scene. Um, and the, I can tell you now that the entire parliamentary complex is severely damaged, uh, waterlogged and smoke damaged. Um, so there's going to be damage extensively. The roof above the old uh, assembly chamber is, the old assembly hall is completely gone and the offices adjacent to it in the gym are destroyed. The uh, second point of fire is the National Assembly Chamber behind me, which you can see, uh, which is gutted. The structural ceiling has collapsed um, and the fire staff had to be momentarily withdrawn. The old chamber, I have walked around it inside with the Provincial Commissioner. It is not possible to see whether it's damaged. We hope it is not because it is so got so many historical artifacts in, um, but you can't gain access to it without breaking the doors down, and we don't want to do that. The doors and the windows being closed is smothering the fire and reduces the amount of damage. So it's a, it's a positive that that is the case. Accompanied by some government officials, including the Premier, 
of the Western Cape, Alan Bindi. President Sir Ramaphosa has visited the scene of the fire where he assured the people that the business of parliament will not stop despite the loss. Notwithstanding the damage that has been caused to the National Assembly, the work of parliament will carry on. It's something that will still be investigated. I believe somebody <clears throat> is being held right now and they are being questioned. But we need to go a lot deeper, a lot deeper uh, into how this type of event can take place. This is the second time in the space of 10 months that fire will be gutting the National Assembly of South Africa, although the last one in March 2021 was not on the scale of this. We expect to hear the full extent of damage or details of it from the relevant authorities in the next few days. From Cape Town, South Africa, Betty Divya, Channels Television News. A South Korean citizen has crossed the heavily fortified border into North Korea in an apparent and very rare defection. South Korea's military says the person was able to evade detection for several hours despite a search operation by South Korean troops. Military chiefs in Seoul and said they did not know if the person is still alive, but has sent a message to the North asking for them to be protected, especially because North Korea had implemented a shoot-on-site policy during the pandemic. The person was detected in the demilitarized zone, which separates the two Koreas at a point on the East Coast. Flight cancellations in the U.S. have hit a new peak in a Christmas season hit hard by the COVID pandemic and bad weather. Air traffic site Flightware reports that nearly 4,400 flights around the world were cancelled on Saturday, more than 2,500 of them in the U.S. Airlines have been struggling with staffing problems with crew quarantining after contracting COVID. Adding to travelers' woes, heavy snow also hit the central U.S. From the U.S., cancellations, more than 1,000 are from Chicago's O'Hare and Midway airports. Sports news now. Chelsea came from a 2-0 score point down to earn a point from a pulsating 2-2 draw with Liverpool on Sunday. That does little for either side's hopes of catching Manchester City at the top of the English Premier League earlier today. City's lead now stands at 10 points from Chelsea with Liverpool a point further back with a game in hand. Everton crashed to a 3-2 defeat against Brighton as pressure mounted on boss Rafael Benitez. Leeds United ended a three-game losing run with a 3-1 victory over Burnley at Eland Road. That, that adds to the Claret's own regulation fears. A late strike from Mads Ros Roslev saw Brentford come from behind to beat Aston Villa 2-1 and claim their first Premier League victory of 2022. And Carlo Ancelotti admits Real Madrid were still on holiday as they suffered a shock 1-0 loss at relegation, battling Getafe in a La Liga earlier today. Madrid's surprise defeat is their first in three months and gives fresh hope to the beleaguered-chasing pack in Spain after Ida Militao's early error allowed Ines to score the winner at the Coliseum 
Alfonso Perez. Sevilla, Madrid's closest challengers, will be five points behind the leaders with a game in hand if they win at Cadiz on Monday. Getafe stay 16th after recording only their fourth league victory of the season. And Dan Evans proved to be the unlikely hero for Britain in Group C at the ATP Cup when he won two matches, including the crucial doubles rubber with Jamie Murray, to guide them to a 2-1 victory over Germany earlier today. Evans powered past Jan Leonard Struff 6-1, 6-2, to give Britain the lead before world number three Alexander Zverev restored parity with a 7-6, 6-1 win over the up-and-coming Cameron Norrie. But Evans played spoiler as he and Murray swept to a comfortable 6-3-6-4 victory over Verev and Kevin Krawitz to take the tie at Sydney's Olympic Park. And the main news again. Two more Bethel students today regained freedom from the kidnappers' den more than six months after their initial capture as Nigerian military kills two notorious bandit leaders in Zamfara Forest. And one person was arrested today in connection with the South African Parliament building fire in Cape Town. And that's it on the news at 10 tonight. And from all of us here, it's good night. <laughs>